Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert and crazy freak, Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm film scholar and vapid whore, Noelle LaCroix. And we're here today to talk about Homecoming, the fifth episode of season three. Homecoming aired on November 3rd, 1998 and was written and directed by David Greenwald. Someday I'll figure out a cool, smooth way to remind you all that Still Pretty is not spoiler free. It is spoiler full. (laughs) So brace yourselves. Ladies, gentlemen, spiny-headed-looking creatures, let's go on patrol. In Homecoming, everyone is making plans to go to the Homecoming dance, but Scott Hope hasn't asked Buffy yet because he's the worst. Instead, he waits to be called out in front of all her friends in the way that maximizes her humiliation and then follows that pathetic shit up by awkwardly asking her to the dance because, see above, re the worst! (laughs) Later, Buffy goes to see Angel to give him blood and tells him that she can't tell everyone about him and he understands. Then she tells him that things are different. She's a senior, she's working harder in school and thinking about college. And she's involved with someone who's good to her and makes her happy. Someone she can count on. And then we irony smash right into this bullshit. I don't think we should see each other anymore. As Buffy stands lonely outside the school, we see her framed in a binocular view. Two weird German guys are watching her from a van and sending the video straight to Mr. Trick and some old white guy in a wheelchair who are working out a plan to take out the Slayer. Meanwhile, in the mayor's office, Deputy Mayor Alan Finch reports on the two weird German guys and the mayor asks if any other colorful characters have come to town recently. At school, Faith and Buffy are training, and Faith asks Buffy to the dance, and we will talk about that later. It's not a huge plot point, but we will get to it. Also, it's picture day, but Buffy didn't get the memo because someone was too busy campaigning for homecoming queen to tell her. When Buffy confronts Cordelia about forgetting to tell her, things get heated. I'm going to show you how it's done. I'm going to run for homecoming queen, and I'm going to win. This is starting to be sad. Sorry, Cordy, but you have no idea who you're messing with. What, this slayer? I'm not talking about the Slayer. I'm talking about Buffy. You've awakened the prom queen within. And that crown is going to be mine. As Buffy is planning her campaign, Mr. Trick is gathering a crew of vamps, demons, and, well, high-tech Germans to compete as well in Slayer Fest 98, in which everyone (laughs) competes to kill the Slayers. It's fun. It's competitive. It's branded with its own goddamn logo. Mr. Trick is a modern vampire with a marketing strategy, and we are here for it. Meanwhile, BFFs Xander and Willow are in her bedroom trying on their dance clothes. Willow fixes his tie. She tries on her dress for him. And all this time, after we put the romantic elements between Willow and Xander to bed, they practice dancing, and then this weirdness comes out of pretty much nowhere. That didn't just happen. No, I mean, it did, but he didn't. Because I respect you and us, and I would never. I would never either. At school, Buffy and Cordelia both campaign for homecoming queen, and much fighting ensues. Willow and Xander decide that their guilt over the fluke made them overcompensate in supporting Cordelia, and now this whole thing with Buffy and Cordy has escalated because of them. They make a plan to trap Cordelia and Buffy in the limo, forcing them to talk and make up. What they don't know is that the Germans are driving the limo and they think that Cordelia is Faith. Also, Buffy and Cordy fight during the ride and then are dropped off in the middle of a forest where somehow a TV and VHS player are set up and ready to go. They hit play and see this. 
Welcome to Slayer Fest 98. What is a Slayer Fest, you ask? Well, as in most of life, there's the hunters and the hunted. Can you guess where you two fall? From the beginning of this tape, you have exactly 30 seconds. No, that's 17 now. To run for your lives. Faith. Buffy. Have a nice day. At the dance, Willow and Xander hang out in extreme guilt watching Oz's band play. Faith sees Scott Hope with another girl at the dance and identifies him as a sleazebag. Giles shows up with a joke about something terrible happening to Buffy, but he's just kidding, as he doesn't know about Slayer Fest. Speaking of which, out in the woods, Buffy and Cordy trap one of the hunters and get the rundown on who's after them. Back at the dance, Faith steps between Scott Hope and his date and handles shit properly. Scott? There you are, honey. Hey, good news. The doctor says that the itching and the swelling and the burning should clear up, but we gotta keep using the ointment. In the woods, Buffy and Cordelia find an abandoned cabin and hole up to work on their defense. Cordelia freaks out, certain she's going to die. Buffy, however, has a solid plan. We are going to get out of here, and we are going to head back to the library where Giles and the rest of the weapons live. Then I'm going to take out the rest of these guys, just in time for you to congratulate me on my sweeping victory as homecoming queen. I know what you're up to. You think if you get me mad enough, I won't be so scared. And hey, it's working. Where's a damn weapon? Buffy and Cordy talk a bit in the cabin while they wait for the hunters to attack. And Buffy explains that she wants Homecoming Queen so much because the rest of her life is basically Slayer Fest all the time. Just as they're starting to understand each other, the spiny-headed demon attacks and Cordy fights him off with the best weapon she could find, a spatula. They run out of the cabin just as the high-tech team launches a grenade into the cabin. They rush back to the school to get the weapons, only to find Lyle Gorch and his vamp wife Candy waiting for them, with Giles knocked out on the floor. Buffy stakes Candy with the spatula, and Cordy handles Lyle. Listen up, needle brain. Buffy and I have taken out four of your cronies, not to mention your girlfriend. Wife! Whatever. The point is, I haven't even broken a sweat. See, in the end, Buffy's just the runner-up. I'm the queen. You get me mad? What do you think I'm going to do to you? Just when they think it's all over, Buffy realizes that the corsages left in the limo for them weren't from the Scoobies. They were from the Germans, and they have trackers in them. Buffy uses the trackers to pull the Germans away and then sticks one to one of the Germans. Old wheelchair guy tells the Germans each to fire. They end up shooting each other dead through the wall of the high school. So we've got two dead Germans in the school and lots of damage, but it's homecoming. We've got priorities. Buffy and Cordelia head to the dance covered in dirt and sweat, but ready to hear the announcement for who won Homecoming Queen. Hey, I believe we have the first for Sunnydale High. We have a tie. The winners are Holly Charleston and Michelle Blake. Okay, Noelle, like last week, we had to pull up the patriarchy, arg the patriarchy, into the (laughs) top of the show. This week, what are you wearing? Well... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well now i decided to start with the clothes because clothes are a huge deal mm-hmm. in this episode and also because clothes are pretty much the only thing i like about this episode <laughs> which we'll get to all right um but buffy wears angel's jacket to bring him his takeout Aww. which kind of like yeah like sweet but also kind of rude because she's also there to tell him about Scott Hope. 
Well, also, he doesn't I, have I, that many clothes. It seems like you might give I him know. back the jacket at this point. He, you know? he did find a shirt, though. He did. But after hundreds of years in a hell dimension, he can't remember how to button it. I know. So, I know. They use Velcro in the hell dimension. But Such throw, a bummer. You know, peel away clothes, right? Poor angel. <laughs> Poor angel. <laughs> you know, but he's, look, he's looking like himself with his, mm-hmm. his open shirt. And yeah, maybe, you know, now would be a good time for Buffy to give him back that jacket. Right. Keep him he warm. Doesn't, he doesn't. I mean, he's not like comfy. Oh, I guess he's always, you know, room his... temperature, whatever that is, right? anyway that's just that is a detail of the whole like vampire sexy vibe that i'm just uh uh-uh no it's weird because they're always cold and what if a vampire is out in like because i mean the thing is like if you're in california it's sunny all the time but at least it's warm you know, like at least you don't yeah. freeze. Like, what about the vampires that are out in like Alaska, like in the interior? The <laughs> Fairbanks vampires, right, must freeze up like the permafrost every oh year and then thaw out. But you know, when it gets oh, warm, that's got to be a whole weird thing. Ah, anyway, <laughs> anyway, pardon my digression. Yes, that's fine. Anyway, Angel, so Angel is looking like himself in his not button shirt, and then. When Scott breaks up with Buffy, he's in blue and she's in pink and oh we're doing God. this like ridiculous boy girl thing, which I, I just, whatever. But it's, I mean, Buffy looks very cute with her yes. pink top and her mm-hmm. pink stacked heels and her mm-hmm. pink purse. Like she's very much sad girl. Yeah. And it's very, I mean, whatever, Scott Hope, mm-hmm. but you know. <laughs> We, yeah, we'll, we'll I mean, get to Scott Hope in a whatever, minute. Whatever, yeah. whatever. <laughs> um, Mr. Trick is back, always a joy. And he's wearing what the mayor later calls an exciting suit. Oh, yes. <laughs> I just, love that. I love everything Trick wears. Everything, everything Trick, trick wears trick is I love. so... Everything Trick is great. Mm-hmm. But I love that not only is he a modern vampire yes. when it comes to technology, mm-hmm. he's like... A fashion vampire. He's oh, yeah. got this look and he's really that's part of that's part of his brand and I dig it. Yeah. Um when we when we see Buffy and Faith training in the library, they both look fantastic. Mm-hmm. I love that Buffy's actually dressed in athletic gear. Right. Well, Faith is wearing shorts that she clearly cut off herself. And those stompy boots, those like knee high stompy lace-up boots that she's wearing. Yeah. I mean, Faith is never not herself. Yes. And I and mean, I she can be fashionable, so but not wear stilettos because <laughs> she's dressed to slay in all yeah. possible interpretations of that phrase. Oh, yes. You know, I love it. Yeah. Oh, yes. And she just, they just look delightful. Mm-hmm. I love the contrast between them in that scene. Yeah. I love that scene. We'll talk about that scene mm-hmm. when we get to that scene. We, um, we will get to that scene. <laughs> oh, we'll get there. <clears throat> Xander and Willow trying on clothes in Willow's room is such a wonderful, wonderful moment and such a horrible moment at the same time. <laughs> no. Oh, and I love the, I mean, it gets this ball rolling. Yeah. That. Uh, I can't. I don't know. But... It's a. It's a very difficult. It's a very conflicting scene for me too. 
It's it's a hard it's hard to watch, yeah. but it's so well done. Mm-hmm. And I love that we get this line about Xander's suit that he borrowed his suit from his only relations with money, and they shun us as they should. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack about Xander's family in just that little line. I know. It's wonderful. That is how I, you build the world. That is how you I, get that exposition, and it's fantastic. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that densely packed line. I love that we're slowly getting a sense of Xander's family. Yeah. And what what the family dynamic or really lack thereof mm-hmm. is in Xander's life. And maybe kind of why Xander is as awful as he is sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but uh, Willow's dress 3B. Mm-hmm. I cannot decide how I feel mm-hmm. about Willow's, like, you know, because that third dress is so perfect. Yeah. And she looks so good and so like grown up and sexy but in a really understated kind of way Mm -hmm. but the things that lead up to it it's like this weird button front over a slip dress kind of thing and then and then her second her second dress is very very looks very willow yes Mm -hmm. like it looks like willow dressed up for a night out because it's it's got all those like flowers on it and it's got all this color but then at the last one it's that black thing and it's completely black you know and it is the least willow of all the dresses and that's the one that gets xander's attention i find that interesting yeah well because she looks grown up yeah like it's a very gr- there's something very grown up about that mm-hmm. boat neck with then the low back. Yeah, I mean, it's a fantastic dress, but I also don't. I don't know. Like it doesn't seem very Willow, and I have a hard time believing that Willow would choose that. Right, but that's the one. Like that's the yeah. one that makes Xander kiss her, and that's the one she chooses to wear to the dance instead of one of the ones that Xander didn't respond to as much. That seems a little bit telling that that's yeah. the choice that she would make yeah yeah but there's a lot there's there's so much to willow i mean mm-hmm. full stop willow knows how to tie a bow tie i know i mean uh, uh, what where did that's, this come from oz doesn't what, wear bow ties well that's like a real yeah that's a that's a very specific skill it's a I mean, grown-up we skill know my willow, guess is that her dad you know, wears them maybe she's been helping her dad with bow ties all these years not that we ever Maybe. see her dad. Not that her dad actually Maybe, exists. Yeah. We have no idea. Yeah. But again, like it puts her very much in that like adult glamorous woman space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just, I I have so many feelings about this scene. But I love <laughs> that, I love that Willow and Xander seeing each other in sexy grown-up terms is yeah. about the clothes. Mm-hmm. They both look very unlike themselves. Right. You know, it's a clothes fluke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is what, but that's what it takes to sort of shift things for them. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah, um, no, it is really interesting. When Buffy is campaigning mm-hmm. for Homecoming Queen, she wears a gray a-line dress that is the best thing she has ever worn <laughs> on the show ever up to this point and i will hear no disagreement that's it pretty is great amazing mm-hmm. it is so good 
I love it. And Buffy's homecoming dress is adorable. It is really nice. She looks very sweet. Cordelia's is downright glamorous. Yeah. I mean, wow, wow, wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I just love that they're opposites. Yep. Coral and emerald are, you know, red and green. If you're right. not as fancy. But they're, but they're but they're a little bit off. They're not quite red and green, you know, which would yeah. look weird, I think, maybe. Uh, look very Christmassy. But there is something about these, you know, these slightly off that standard primary color wheel, you know, um, mm-hmm. colors that that have have elements of that to them, but still have their own personality. I think it's really neat. Mm-hmm. And the dresses kind of coordinate, but kind of don't. It sort of reminds me of something that, like, I don't know, Jane Russell and Marilyn Monroe would wear if we were doing. Yeah, you know, right. <laughs> gentlemen prefer blondes too, right? Um, <laughs> I don't know. That's just, but that's just me. That's where I go. I go yeah. to the clothes because. There's not a lot in this episode that I really, really love. Oh I'm just kind of like, yeah. why? The oh whole my time? God. This episode for me, I had so much to say about this episode. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it's funny though, because like you say, you don't like it. And, I, and when you first said you didn't like it, I was like, huh, she didn't like homecoming. And I'm like, nah, I kind of get it. But, um, <laughs> But to me, like, I I love it in a lot of ways, you know, and then some of the stuff, even the stuff I don't love, I kind of love. But one thing that I absolutely don't love at all, and I'm not conflicted about it at all, Scott fucking Hope. Can we talk about this for a minute? Absolutely. <laughs> he, he remains a cardboard cutout of a human being. He is And I worst. do not understand Buffy's monologue about him to <laughs> Angel. No. Well, the only thing I, mean, I can think of when she says that to Angel, I think she's just trying to like present him as like this really great thing so that Angel doesn't or Angel knows that like nothing can happen between between her and Angel. But I'm going to get to that in just a minute because okay, we're starting okay, with Scott okay, Hope. Okay. We're getting we're getting the terrible okay. stuff out of the way first. Um, so I just want to <laughs> get it out of the way up front because I don't want to waste any more time talking or thinking about Scott Hope for the rest of this podcast. This is the last Scott <laughs> Hope rant. This is it. Um, doesn't ask her to the dance because clearly he's already asked someone else and hasn't told her yet. Uh, breaks up with her in the goddamn school hallway like an asshole, you know, just the worst. Then a few days later is at the dance with his other date. No, classy, Scott Hope. Real fucking classy. Oh, but you know, he'll vote for Buffy. Isn't that sweet? Fuck you, Hope. Right. So I love the way that Faith handled it, though. I mean, I love that, you know, he's such a prick. She goes up to him with his date, talks about the whatever sexually transmitted infection they happen to share. Um, and it's absolutely wonderful. And it's a great way to say goodbye uh, to Scott Hope. Although we do get a Scott Hope mention later, way later in season seven's conversations with dead people uh, when Buffy is fighting with Holden. So here's a clip of that. I heard a lot of rumors about you back then. You were all mysterious. I was? Well, you were never around. A lot of kids thought you were dating some really old guy or that you were just heavy religious. Scott Hope said you were gay. What? I dated that ringworm. He says that about every girl he breaks up with. And then, last year, big surprise, he comes out. Oh my God, Scott fucking Hope is the absolute goddamn worst, and I hate him. I mean, I just wish in this episode that they'd had Trick turn him and then Buffy could fight him and say, you know what, Hope? Keep your eyes open and then stake him through the fucking heart. That's all I want from that. (laughs) But he's gone. He's gone. This is the last we're going to see of Scott Hope. So we can release him without love and just let him (laughs) 
don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out of the hell mouth, Scott Hope. Um, boy, bye. <laughs> boy, boy, bye. bye. <laughs> um, all right. So moving on to better things in this episode, we get very, very little of Angel. But I actually really kind of like this scene. You know, we get this one scene, although it's it's weirdly over dramatized in places. Um, I yeah. think to make it seem like Angel is angry or upset with Buffy. Um, there's this moment she asks him how he is and he says it hurts and then he says less you know um and then like when she's talking about i'm seeing somebody he turns on her suddenly and she's all like tense about it but then it's just yeah. to, like straighten the collar on her jacket or whatever and ordinarily that's the kind of mislead stuff that i would call bullshit on except that i think that in this scene we're so strongly in buffy's pov you know, that she's so tense about telling him this and what is he going to think and how is he going to react, you know, um, yeah. which I find like I, I, Buffy's sense of guilt and responsibility for what happened with Angel is something we play in this episode. We also play this kind of like passive. She's waiting for Scott to ask her to the dance when she clearly wants to go. You know, he breaks up with her and she's just like, well, what did I do wrong? You know, instead yeah. of being like, hey, you're an asshole, you know? Um, and so like this this idea that she, you know, it's, it's, it's an implicit message. And I think this is an implicit message that women are generally given. And I don't know that this is deliberate. It feels more like terroir to me. But like this idea that, um, that she needs to please these men. And when she fails to please these men, regardless of how terrible they might be. And I know that Angel losing his soul and becoming Angelus was not his fault. And that when he doesn't have his soul, he can't really be held responsible for his actions because... You know, he's he's because under a possession. He gets the possession <laughs> yeah. exemption, you know, so there's that kind of stuff. But the idea that Buffy feels so badly about that and that when she says, I'm seeing somebody and he turns on her, she is expecting him like she's flinching. She's expecting him yeah. to like hit her or be mad and almost thinking like in the way of her body language and the way that she's talking to him, almost acting like he would have a right, you know? Yeah. Um, I, yeah. The whole that whole exchange yes. feels pointless and weird to mm -hmm, me. Mm -hmm. Like I don't I don't believe anything she says in that in that scene. And I don't believe that Buffy would come to Angel to be like, Yeah, I'm working really hard in school and I'm seeing this person who's really good to me who I can count on. Right. To, like, so we can not have the iron his soul. Like what the right. but but like what what yeah like and and I, scott hope is not any of those things no he's not yeah he's not we we hear several times that he's charming and that he's you know great right it's all informed that. charm it's, it's not all, actual demonstrated yeah. charm mm -hmm. there's i mean yeah he's he's fine he's a cardboard cut out of a human like he's i just not don't fine. i mean no well uh, well <laughs> Let's not do that. <laughs> can you? Can you not? Can you? Not? I mean, he's repulsive, but he's a boy, and he gives Buffy her value because we all know that a woman without a man has no value. Um, oh my god! But, but I yeah. just that whole so so. My point is that whole exchange with Angel. I get that we're deep in Buffy's POV. Mm -hmm. I actually really like the way it's framed. Yes, where mm -hmm. we're looking at Angel's face. And mm -hmm. she's looking at his back and mm -hmm. we don't see, we see her 
all small in the background and he is huge in the foreground and that's Mm -hmm. how she is feeling yeah at this moment that she's carrying this giant secret again about him because keeping a huge secret always works and Mm -hmm. is always really good for everyone involved like i right i don't i don't know i don't this scene did not land for me on a number of points um and not just the like scott hope is such a great guy part but the that she's telling this to angel i mean yeah see i get it like i get the whole thing i get exactly what she's doing here because the last time we saw them together right he saved her life and then yes. collapsed on the floor, weeping and holding her and saying her name over and over and over again. Right. Um, uh-huh. And that is not a just friends context. That is a. <laughs> um, so I think that like what she's doing okay. here is she's I mean, a lot of this, too. And I think that like I completely see your point is that it is audience information rather than necessarily the conversation that she would actually be having with Angel. Um, But part of it is, you know, um, it's her saying, like, this, whatever romance we had is over. Like, this is not Mm -hmm. happening. And she does this whole thing with, like, you know, I'm in school now. I'm doing really well. I'm happy. I'm moving Mm -hmm. on, you know. And I am under the possession of a boy. (laughs) <laughs> which means, right? It's that thing that yeah. women, women often have to do, which is well, uh, because you get, because you're uncomfortable rejecting a man because he might kill you, right? right. Um, so when you say that, I have you a have boyfriend. Say, yeah. I have a boyfriend. I have somebody else who is, has, it's, you know, branded me with yeah. a fiery poker, right? And mm-hmm. and now I belong to him. And because I am henceforth possessed by another man, even though it's Scott Hope, technically male. <laughs> I guess technically he meets the requirement of being a guy so that he can possess me and own me. Um, so it's not my fault because I am simply a possession, right? So yeah. you can't if be mad at me. Yeah. If the poker is fiery, though, you get that looked at. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> that should not. <laughs> it should not be. Well, he's got the ointment, so but, it's all right. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. So um, I think that that's what yeah. she's doing here with Angel. And so it's, I yeah. I kind of see it. It's it's terrible it's the back off man i have a boyfriend thing because guys will respond to i have a boyfriend more than i have feelings and they're complex and i have a life and all of you know or or, you know more than i just don't want hey you went bad and killed all my friends so i would really like to say that this right now and i get it you were you got the possession exemption and all of that. I'm still highly traumatized by this experience that I had with you. And um and I'm not ready to be anything other than friends, but I'll bring you pig's blood. So this is like this is her stating the boundaries of the relationship. Right. But right. while putting it on everything else aside from like actually having a conversation about what happened between them. And yeah. um and I get it. Like you you know, as women, like I think we've all done that at a certain point where we felt like we weren't sure that we would be safe having that conversation but you know he's a vampire she's a vampire slayer i think she'd probably be safe she could she killed him once she can probably do it again um and so i don't know like it's it's there are these implicit things that's this very like female experience of that you know hey just to let you know this isn't going anywhere conversation yeah um where you have to put it in a context of you know it's not you it's me 
I'm in high school. I'm looking at college. I'm really happy. I am under the possession of another male. So these are all the reasons why this can't be any more than a blood delivery service at this point, right? Um, you know, and I mean, like, I get it. I get it. Yeah. But it's still, it is it is a little weird. It's also not part of the bigger story. But we, we get that moment in there where we hear, I'm not telling anybody about you. And therefore, I'm keeping a secret. And that is laying down the tracks for a conflict that will come, of course, later in the season. Yeah. Um, so we've got that. But it's, it, you know, I get your point. But I also kind of like see what's happening here. And I just, I love watching David Boreanaz in pain. There's something about, <laughs> like, okay, his brooding is something that I actually like have very, very little patience for. But in uh-huh. this very particular instance where he has very recently, um, you know, lost his soul, killed the friends of the woman that he loves and tormented her, then lived for a hundred years in a demon dimension of a constant torment, then came back feral. Like, I get the brooding here. Like, I'm with you, Angel. You're going to need some time to unpack this shit. And I get it. And that's fine, you know. Um, But this is one thing, though, that I was a little curious about is that like when he's all feral, Right. Mm -hmm. He could track her down and save her from the Jekyll Hyde guy last week. Right. But when a group of demons and vamps are doing this very splashy Slayer Fest 98, (laughs) he's what? Catching up on Dawson's Creek? What is he doing? (laughs) He's just in the cement mansion. Like this seems like the kind of time where he'd be like, wow, I kind of I, you know, I kind of think Buffy might be in trouble. Like maybe I should go help her out. Uh, But that's not part of this story. And I get it. But the thing is, like, he's not part of this story. So why do we have this scene at all? Aside because... from giving us the irony smash into the breakup with uh, with the guy yeah. she can count on, you know? Yeah, because boys. Yes. I don't know. I uh, don't know. It's all weird. There's, yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot in this episode that I don't get, not from a storytelling perspective, but from a life experience perspective. Because mm-hmm. homecoming and similar school activities are to me like sports. Yes. I understand that they're very important to right. other people and I do not get it. Like, and they I were never important. It. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I no. went to a couple of dances, but like the whole idea of homecoming is something that it feels like a relic from the 50s. Like that people like homecoming is when, of course, the people who graduated, the alumni come back for the big game and then there's a dance and all this kind of stuff. And it's, you know, and the homecoming queen thing, like, I get it. Like, I know that. Okay, do I get it? No. Do I know that it happens and that it's important to some people just like sports? Yes. Like, I'm absolutely with you on all of that. Yeah, I just. Yeah. I like and I feel bad because I can see, you know, we've got Buffy and Cordelia and this is like really important to them. And yes. I'm just like, I don't care. Like, I'm right. sorry. Like, I'm I don't sorry. understand that whole thing. Right. Yeah. 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 But, you yeah. know, it matters to them. Um, right. And 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 I don't know. And me and part of it for me is I don't like to see the girl on girl hate. Yeah, I know that that is a thing that happens in the world and it's a great way to move a story along. And, you know, that's some good conflict. But I always just feel like, really, like this is this is this is what we're putting our energy into. And also, like, you know, 
at least they're not fighting over guys. So I guess there's that. But there's now that, they're fighting but... over something else. And I have to say, like, this whole thing, I mean, the, the title of the episode is Homecoming. The whole thing, you know, like, revolves around this event, this homecoming dance. You yeah. Know? Um, but for the central conflict of this episode, I mean, this particular, like, whole premise about the homecoming dance and Cordelia and Buffy being in competition for homecoming queen really feels like little more than a pretense to get Cordy mistaken for Faith and to underscore once again, like Buffy's need for normal girl experiences. So like in the sense that homecoming represents like the high school girl thing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I guess like I understand it from there, but in and of itself, it does fall, I think kind of flat for me. And that may be because like I didn't care about it in high school now, you know, in middle age, I'm certainly not going to care about homecoming, you know. <laughs> so, like, it doesn't, it doesn't particularly speak to me. And I think that it really is mostly a, a premise, you know, uh, just so that mm-hmm. we can get these moving things where they are and then have Buffy and Cordelia in prom dresses fighting demons, which is always fun. You know, I mean, yes, I enjoy that it's part, a you know. great aesthetic. I yes. love the aesthetic of... Yes girls in formal wear yes. with shotguns. I yes. mean, I yeah, think it's Kimmy. fantastic. <laughs> That's great. But the mm-hmm. whole, like, I I see that they have conflict. I hear that they have conflict. And I just, uh, I don't care. Yes. Like, I get that Buffy wants a normal life. I get that Cordelia does not want mm-hmm. Buffy's life. Um, even though she's, like, really, really stellar at kicking ass when it comes mm-hmm. down to it. But I just, uh, Okay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, okay, yeah. Okay, guys. I no, I get it. <laughs> um, but I do really like this moment with Buffy and Cordelia where they're in the cabin and they're actually starting to talk, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and Buffy has this incredible speech, and I love this, so we're going to go ahead and play that. All I wanted was to be homecoming queen. And that's all I wanted to, Cordelia. And a year's allowance on the stress. I don't even get why you care about homecoming when you're doing stuff like this. Because this is all I do. This is what my life is. You couldn't understand. I just thought, homecoming queen, I could pick up a yearbook someday and say, I was there. I went to high school. I had friends. And... For one moment, I got to live in the world. And that'd be proof. Proof that I was chosen for something other than this. Besides, I look cute in a tiara. And the thing is that, like... At the end, you know, we have a couple of these little twists, right? We have this moment where they're they're covered in sweat and dirt and their hair's a mess and their <laughs> dresses are torn, right? And they get in there and then Cordelia starts setting it up with, you know, after everything that's happened, this just feels pretty damn important. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And they both just completely agree on that, that they still very much want this particular um, accomplishment. And of course, now we've set up the situation where we have, you know, two people and mutually exclusive. If one of them wins, the other one of necessity loses. <laughs> so we're in this moment where we're like, oh, which one is going to win? You know? Right. Um, and then they 
do this really fun twist that actually I quite like at the end where he's yes. like, oh, we have a tie. And you think it's going to be one of those things where they're like, both Buffy and Cordelia won and everything's okay. And it ends up being <laughs> the two other girls, which I absolutely love. And they're all like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. This is so wonderful. And Buffy and Cordelia are like, I don't even with this, right? <laughs> so I it's love a, that twist. It's a great twist. And speaking of twists, this episode of Still Pretty is brought to you by TricksTricks.com. <laughs> Tricks Tricks is a state of the late 90s art marketing agency built specifically to meet the needs of the modern vampire. Need to take out a slayer? We'll do a logo, branding package, and even give you theme music on the house. Need a red velour suit to show that you're a vampire with a thirst for blood and impeccable fashion sense? We'll hook you up with a demon tailor who can fit the suit to your every contour and make it holy water resistant. <laughs> Need to outsmart a mayor bent on turning into a giant snake and ruling the world? The giant snake thing never ends well. We recommend getting the hell out of Dodge before someone stakes you. Go to TricksTricks.com using the code ScottHopeIsTheWorst and sign up for your free trial today. Well, it's kind of free. We do require that you sign in blood and commit your soul to us should a Romani curse return it to you in some weird fluke of vengeance. But seriously, what are even the chances of that happening twice, right? <laughs> or you could choose to take the couple of bucks you might spend on that sweet, sweet VHS set up in the woods and give it directly to Chipperish Media instead. So we can keep our slayers lousy with tiaras and you lousy with the great podcasts you love. Like Still Dead about Angel the Series hosted by our very own Lonnie Diane Rich and Dr. <laughs> Kelly Jones. Listen up a-holes about the Marvel Cinematic Universe hosted by Lonnie and superhero scholar Joshua Unruh. Orgasm about explosive inspiration from Dr. Kelly Jones and yours truly, and our <laughs> Star Wars podcast, Metaphors Be With You, hosted by Rob Hyrett. Aside from the comforting knowledge that you're keeping chipperish shows available to all as a chipperish media patron, you also get to join in our Discord chat, where really smart people who love stories and go above and beyond what we can viably discuss in our shows. We only have an hour, folks. Patrons also get access to exclusive content like Two Host Minimum, our upcoming podcast where we mix and match chipperish hosts to talk about patron-requested movies, books, and shows. Coming up, Shaun of the Dead with Lonnie and Rob. And someone's going to make Joshua Unruh watch a romantic comedy. <laughs> Go to patreon.com slash chipperish and sign up today. <laughs> Trickstricks.com. Scott Tricks. Hope is the worst. That's what Scott Hope do. is the worst. Yeah. Scott Hope is the worst. But you know who's <laughs> awesome is Faith. Is Faith. Faith. So here's the thing. Very, very clearly, right? Um, first of all, Faith, I think we can agree. Well, okay. Mr. Trick and the mayor in this episode are really pretty great, but Faith is pretty much the best thing about this episode, right? Oh, agreed. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. so agreed. I love how she manages to ask Buffy to the dance after Buffy gets dumped by Scott Hope and then covers up with the stud line. So I'm going to go ahead and play this clip. Screw him. All right. You move on and you party heavily and it'll be fine. I mean, you're still going to that dance, right? Maybe. We got the text already. Why don't we go together? I don't know about that. Come on, we'll find a couple studs. We'll use them and discard them. That's always fun. Okay, I'm in. Not the stud using part, though. Or probably not. All right, so 
she is so clearly like this is the kind of thing that is it's so clearly her being like hey you know you want to go to the dance i mean you know we can find a couple of studs and dump them or whatever but you know like she <laughs> makes me so happy clearly like oh my god it is wonderful but i think i'm gonna hand this over to you because i get the feeling that you're gonna have a lot to say about the buffy faith relationship I have so much to say about the Buffy Faith relationship. I love it so much. Mm -hmm. I've talked about this a little bit already. I love them as foils for one another. But they are flirting from the get-go. And I mean that first, like, about to be a fight between Buffy and Faith is very sexually tense. Yes. There's a lot of, like flashing of eyes at each other and yes. and I'm like oh this is this is a little bit heated and then <laughs> when faith is talking to buffy about scott and boys and the tingly feeling right. it's very much she's really testing the waters you know right. and buffy says hello and she says you tell me and <laughs> i mean hello right. flirt it's such it's and i don't know i mean Maybe, maybe I should, I should probably just speak for myself, but I feel like this is a thing that queer women do with other women (laughs) of sort of like testing, like testing the waters a little bit. Like, let's talk about things that are sort of sexually charged about boys. Uh Uh-huh. Sure. Yeah. Boys. (laughs) We'll talk about boys. Like, I, I feel like. I, I don't know. And maybe maybe I'm alone in this. But, <laughs> but this is a thing that happens. And yes. I just I love it. The like test this the sort of the sort of feeling each other out, so to speak. Um, <laughs> but I love I love the way Faith says super casually, we could go together. And she kind of turns her head on the side right. a little there's bit there's that vulnerability there that yeah. is that is suggestive of something and i have to say like here's the thing i you know i grew up as a straight woman in a straight world so like i had no clue about any of this and even in my first i don't even know how many watchings of you know buffy the vampire slayer never saw like this you know they're just good friends and they have fun together and then they hate each other and it's fine you know i can completely see it now and i can absolutely see how these are those testing the waters kinds of discussions and now like i feel really bad because i don't even know like women could have been hitting on me my whole life i'd never have any idea because i'm like (laughs) i'm sorry i was a straight woman raised in a straight world and i just don't like i didn't see anything like I was so blind to everything you know and now I can see it and it's so first of all it's awesome and I 100% support and I love it and go for it and that's great and I think Buffy and Faith should have absolutely had a romance at this time I understand why they didn't do it but whatever um but I mean I think this is beautifully written from that perspective and I don't know like as a queer woman when you saw this I mean did you feel seen by it um I saw it for the first time. I didn't see it for the first time when it was airing. Um, I don't know. You know, it's funny. I don't think I saw the queerness in the Buffy Faith relationship as obviously as I do now. Mm -hmm. And I think some of that is just age and experience because, you know, I wasn't like... 
like I was out in high school, but I also had a lot of internalized homophobia to work through, as yeah. I think a lot of a lot of queer people do. Well, sure, um, society trains you to do that. Yeah, you know? and it's hard. It's hard to untangle a lot of that stuff. Sure. Um, yeah. Something that I definitely appreciate now is the what's the word I'm looking for? The the Buffy's very receptive in this really, really compelling way. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Faith is super vulnerable and says, yeah. you know, we could go together. Like she makes this offer that's vulnerable either way, whether it's right. a flirt or not. I mean, it yes. obviously is. But w- even it if it's not, is. right? like they're not that close yet. Yeah. And that's kind of a, you know, that's that's a really vulnerable position to put herself in. And yeah. Buffy says, I don't know, and gives her this like little, like her yep. eyes sort of fall. She kind of like, likes the idea, though. She likes it. She's clearly never really considered it, but she's really intrigued. And yeah. what I love about that response is it's not a no. She's thinking about it. She's never thought about it before, mm-hmm. but it doesn't. It's not completely uncomfortable. There's not, it's not a, I don't know, like, there, there's not a no homo kind of moment in there. Right. Yes. I yes. Really, there's none of that panic, which I love. I really, really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because it is, it's such a, it, it, it's such a queer relationship just in the, the ways that they're kind of trying to figure each other out. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you mentioned the idea of a Buffy Faith romance, and I know that there's just pages and pages and pages <laughs> of fan fiction out there. Um, <laughs> however, I have this I have this proposal, and I'm sure I'm not the first person to come up with this, but mm-hmm. Buffy, a big a big source of Buffy's pain is that as the Slayer, she has this life that is terrifying and dangerous and isolating and nobody really understands. She says yes. it often yes, about exactly. various situations that she's in. Mm-hmm. Nobody you know, can well, know. No mm-hmm. one can know. They wouldn't understand. Faith would understand. Yeah, Faith is someone who could really validate her experience, Mm -hmm. which I think is something that a lot of us look for in, you know, a a romantic partner is somebody to say, yes, I see you. I see your life. I understand what it is that you're feeling and what you're going through. And I will go through that with you. And Faith is really the only person, certainly at this point, really equipped to do that with Buffy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, there's there's definitely the the bones of a really great romance slash yes. love story there. Absolutely. And I'm I'm kind of sad that it doesn't ever pan out that way. Right. Well, and you know, the thing is, and, and I'm about to spoil something that actually is not in the show. It's in the comics. So if you don't want to be spoiled for the comics, you can skip ahead. But if you're listening to this, you've probably already read the comics so anyway um but in the comics um in season eight we uh we actually have because like Buffy being the clueless straight girl I think is is pretty clearly laid out here you know um and but in the comics we do have a moment where she has um she has a relationship with a woman for a short while um although in the comics and this is the thing like I 
I love the idea of this being a relationship of them, of Buffy's sexuality being fluid. That's great, you know, and the, the ability that Faith has to connect with her on something that absolutely nobody else can connect on her with. I think that mm-hmm. that's fantastic. I love all that. I didn't like it in the comics. And the reason why I didn't like it is because it felt like the male gaze lesbian relationship that it was like, oh, isn't this sexy and cute as opposed to you know, isn't this an interesting space to take this character, right? Because the thing is, the girl-on-girl stuff can be very, you know, centered around pleasing this sort of, like, titillating this male gaze space, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, So that's the only thing about it that, um, that with Buffy and Faith, the thing that I like, I, I like that they didn't do it, because I fear that if they did do it, it would be that. And I yes. like that it's it's done in this kind of subtle way that sort of explores this, you know, this like, uh, you know, um, in the closet queer experience. Not that I understand that, but I like, <laughs> and I feel really bad because any woman who's ever hit on me, I'm sorry, I didn't know. I had no idea. Um, actually, I don't know when men are hitting on me either. I'm terrible at, at picking up those clues. I never think anybody's hitting on me and I don't figure it out until way, way later. Um, but like the, you know, I, I think that I, I, I love this with them. And if it had been handled poorly, if it had been handled as a, a, a titillating, like, ooh, here's girls kissing for boys yeah. To, yeah. to appreciate, um, I would have been really disappointed in that. So the fact is, the way that it is represented, even though it is never really fulfilled, um, I think is better than them screwing it up and making it all about, like, oh, look, the hot girls are making out for boys, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so so I'm kind of, like, in that space with it. And that's what I felt like in when I read the comic book. That's what I felt like they were doing, and it really pissed me off because I was like, no, if you're going to explore this space with Buffy, explore it properly. And, you know, and it's drawn in this comic book style that just felt exploitative, you know? Um, so yeah, yeah, I'm not, it. I'm not familiar with the comic books, but yeah. I'm not at all surprised. Yeah. And that's, really, I mean, that's how it I felt mean, to me. Maybe it's really just the way I read it, but yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. Like if it looks exploitative to you, it may, you know, that's a valid, that's, that's a valid how it felt interpretation. To me. Yeah. That's how it yeah. felt to me. It felt like less something we're doing that's interesting with Buffy's character and more something we're doing because, ooh, look, we can make Buffy kiss a girl, you know, like that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, well, and, and when we the exploitative get to... of LGBTQ is, is something that I, no, they're just people having yeah. a relationship. Let's build the relationship. And the relationship is so beautifully built here. That, we... that foundation is so beautifully yes. built. And we do it so well with mm-hmm. Willow and Tara later. Yes. So I'm yes. like the way that I mean, we'll talk about that more when we get there. Right. But the way that the the way that that relationship builds really mm-hmm. slowly and sort of, yes. oh, what are we doing and here? Is over wonderful. a combined understanding and interests and things that they have in common, you know, like that's yeah. nicely done. Yeah. 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 Buffy and Faith would definitely, at, at, certainly at this point, be I'm hot, you're hot, let's be hot together. Right. <laughs> Which, yeah. You know, there's there's value to that, but there can be. I there get can it. Be. I get it. But yeah. I mean, and then on the other side, we've got you know, I'm vulnerable. You're vulnerable. Let's be vulnerable together with yeah. Xander and Willow. <laughs> oh, Xander and Willow, so vulnerable. Oh so my much god, vulnerability. Oh this my. Is so okay, here's the thing. I'm just gonna come right out, and I'm gonna admit <laughs> it. 
I completely shipped Willow and Xander the first time I watched this. And I still like, I remember when we did When She Was Bad, the season premiere for season two, <laughs> right? Um, and they had the little moment with the ice cream and the he was about to kiss her. The ice cream on the nose. Okay. Oh my they God. They have tremendous chemistry together, these two actors. Um, Willow loves Xander, so I have transitive crush momentum. You know, like I love Willow. <laughs> Willow loves Xander. So hence, I want Xander for Willow. It is the transitive <laughs> property of the crush on somebody you love. Um, love so. It. All of that stuff, like, I was into. And during this moment, like, okay, everything in this scene, in the greater context of all of Buffy, um, is wrong, wrong, wrong. And I'm with you. Like, all the people who hate it, I get it. I get why you hate it. And you're right. But the bottom line is this shit works for me and I love it. <laughs> I love the two of them together. I love the, the chemistry that they've got. The moment when they kiss, like, I feel that yearning with them. And it just, it works for me because of, I think, like, mostly, honestly, the actors rather than, like, the characters yeah. and where they are. Um, so, like, I'm going to say, I know it's wrong. I understand everybody who hates it. I understand, like, I'm with you. I understand he's wrong for her. She deserves better. She's got Oz, who is a million times better. It's shitty of both of them to cheat on Oz and Cordelia. Um, and it seems out of character, at least for Willow, although with her historical love for Xander and how much she has loved him and wanted him all these years, like, I can see how she could be in this moment, like, a little overwhelmed by it. And let's face it, they're all in high school. They're not married you know, I mean, it's shitty to cheat, right? But, you know, like this kind of thing, you're so young and here's this guy that you've been in love with forever and you're still figuring yourself out and all this kind of stuff. Like, I, I get it and I love it and I enjoy it and I, I'm not going to lie. I watch that. When this scene is over, I rewind and I watch it again every single time because I love it and that is my private shame. I know it's wrong. It's okay. The whole storyline is weird and unnecessary, but... It does end and culminate in Lover's Walk, which is freaking amazing. And I cannot <laughs> wait to get that. And that's four episodes. Like this yeah. affair with Xander and Willow feels like it lasts forever. But yeah. it's like a Scott Hope plus one. Scott Hope felt like it lasts forever, too. That was yeah. three goddamn episodes and, and two and a half, way too many. Um, <laughs> but this is four episodes, this Xander and Willow thing. And I got to say, like... I, I I can't help it. I do enjoy it. And that's just going to have to be my, I said my private shame. It's not my private shame. It's my very public shame now. <laughs> now it's your public it. shame. Now deal, it's my yeah. public shame. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But I think there's, there's something like, yeah, it's, I mean, it's not great. And mm -hmm. there's something about seeing a friend in a different light, especially a friend yeah. that you've loved for a really long time. And I mean, they've known each other since they were five. And now right. here they are like all, you know, it's senior year, it's the homecoming dance, they're like getting all fancied up. And mm -hmm. it's like, wait a second. Hello. I know. But yeah. the thing is that we've had this like, they've been building this romance. Like, first, you know, Willow loves Xander. Then, um, you know, we have uh, Willow finding out. Like, we have the moment where he's going to kiss her in, um, in When She Was Bad, right? Which, yeah. clearly, they are about to kiss. Like, whether so it got interrupted about by a vampire or not, that isn't something you can just ignore. They were totally about to kiss. Um, and then, at the end, in Becoming, when he says, Willow, I love you. I know you don't read that as romantic. I read it as a romantic confession, especially because it's interrupted immediately by her 
her wanting Oz. Mm-hmm. So I, I read that very much as a romantic confession. Um, so in this moment, but like by the time we got here, like me as a shipper of Xander and Willow, <laughs> I had given up. I was like, all yeah. right, fine. You yeah. know, they dropped it. All right, <laughs> fine. Let it go. Because Xander had been kind of like, Xander's like, you know, thing with Willow where he doesn't want her until she wants someone else and then he's going to go and fuck up her yep. life with it. You know, like that's shitty. Um, so all of I get it. I know all you people who are yelling that it's terrible. I know. I know. I'm with you. It's awful. Um, <laughs> it's but, awful, but it's so great. But <laughs> when it happens, so good. I kind of love it. Okay. So you like it too? Well, I love Out this of context. Okay. I hate this scene and I hate <laughs> the ball that it gets rolling, but I love yes. this scene because I they know. are so they're so sweet and they're so vulnerable. Yes. And I mean, I mean, they're changing clothes. I mean, Willow has her privacy screen, but still, like, right. it's this very, it's this very it's an intimate moment. Intimate moment. She's and, tying his tie. I mean, that's completely I mean, intimate. And he's yeah. talking about, you know, his family and, and all of yeah. that stuff, which is incredibly vulnerable. Yeah. And dancing and oh my and, God. Like, um, that's, it's just. And Lisa Loeb is playing, which is right. just not fair. <laughs> like, that's just, I, he- I hear what you're doing. Right. <laughs> like, it's, it is, it is a wonderful scene. I absolutely love it. And it's a mm-hmm. horrible scene for this thing right. that it puts in motion. And I just, oh. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. They have all the chemistry. They have all mm-hmm. of it. Um, all right. So here's my question for you. Lisa Loeb is playing, right? Yes. So either that is diegetic, which means it is actually in the scene. Somebody put that record on and Xander and Willow are listening to it as they dance. Or it is non-diegetic, which means it is playing that it's something that we put in that was put in after the fact that is not actually playing in the room with them, but it is playing for us because it is giving us a sense of the space. Now, here's the thing. If it is diegetic, which means it's part of the scene and they're playing, they're listening to it as they dance. Um, if that's the case, then one of them put that song <laughs> on and none of this is a surprise for that person, whoever that may be. Um, if it's non-diegetic, it's simply setting the scene for us. Now, the fact that they are dancing indicates that there might be music actually playing. So I think, I think that this music is diegetic. I think it's in the scene itself. I think you could make an argument either way I think you can make a really strong argument either way because I totally believe that Willow would be listening to a Lisa Love CD like I absolutely so if she put that CD on and she's in the room with Xander changing her clothes and showing him all of her pretty dresses is Willow (laughs) making a play I don't know maybe unconsciously she is I don't know it's it's yeah. Whew. It's some yeah. complicated stuff, man. That's, that's I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's, I don't it's know. a question because they they both act like this is a huge surprise. But yeah, I mean, they do. if you realize that Willow put on that Lisa Loeb CD before they started changing clothes together, um I think that I think that Willow uh maybe was not as surprised as <laughs> possibly also- it may seem. That's also a really, just like a really intimate setup. Like, hey, want to come over and try on our homecoming clothes together? Like, what? Well, they're best friends. I mean, if they were two straight girls in a room together, we wouldn't even think twice about it. Right. Because Mm -hmm. women are allowed to have a different kind of intimacy in their relationships, which is why girl on girl doesn't count. I have a rant about that for later in the show. Okay. Um, No, I can't wait to hear that. (laughs) Later in the run of Buffy, I should say. Not later in the run of... (laughs) 
a later uh, here, uh, but we'll we get will back. have that discussion. We'll have that, yes, we have that to yes. look forward to. That's good fun. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. It's there's something. It's a super super intimate scene, and yes, I yeah. understand that they're best friends and all of that, but like. Wow. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know. I don't know. It's a I lot mean, of it intimacy. Like, it's a whole yeah. lot of intimacy. <laughs> yeah. And that, and that particular soundtrack, you know, I mean, if they had like Smash Mouth playing, like, you know, that would have right. been an entirely different thing. But yeah, yeah, right there. No, that was a little bit much. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I don't know. That's a question. Diegetic or non-diegetic? Hashtag still pretty. Find us on Twitter. We want to hear from you. Um, <laughs> all right. So next, I want to talk about the mayor. We don't get a lot of the mayor in this <gasps> episode. But, but it's the first the time we see him. It's the first time we get to see Harry Grader chewing the freaking scenery oh as the mayor. God. And it was worth the wait. And I loved it. So good. He's so <laughs> good. So good. It's so good. It's not even the best of the stuff that we get from the mayor. No. Like, this is just the beginning of it. But I love the whole germaphobe thing. Then we've got Jack Plotnick. Of course, the actor plays uh, Deputy Mayor Alan Finch, who will, of course, become <laughs> hugely pivotal throughout I this. Uh, the Alan. course of this, this I love story. Alan Finch. Alan is so great. But he's like, show me your hand. Hands and he puts his hands out. And he looks like he's waiting for him to like stab the letter opener through yeah. them or something. Like this is an unpredictable office environment. I get the feeling. <laughs> I washed that. Like, he's so. I know. <laughs> please don't. Please don't stab me, Mr. Mayor. Please don't stab me. Um, I love how they characterize the mayor. Um, you know, while the antagonist basically, like the the antagonist, only has one job to block the protagonist. That's all they have to do in order to be narratively functional. But a great villain is fully characterized, interesting, and their goal is about them, not about the protagonist. And I love all of this stuff. I also love this moment right at the end of this episode with Alan. When the mayor says, you have all my faith, right? And I'm like, oh, my God, are they teasing the faith heel turn right there? You know, and I think that I don't know, maybe maybe it's just a coincidence. But I'm sorry, when you have a character named Faith in the show, you have to be conscious of every time you use the word faith, not in the context of her name. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. Death of the author. That's what I see, whether they did it deliberately or not. It feels deliberate. Yeah. For what it's worth. I was like, oh, <laughs> oh my <laughs> God. And then at the end, when he pulls in Mr. Trick, right? Yes. And he's like, this is a big year for me. And Trick goes, election year. And he goes, something like that. And I'm just <laughs> like, oh my God, you're going to turn into a giant snake demon. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh my And this God. is why I struggle to follow politics because it's like, is it an election year? Is it a giant snake year? I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes, like 2016, you really get both. Yeah, you know? yeah, you so, absolutely uh, do. We can uh, clearly see that that shit happens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. But anyway, okay, so now I guess is a good time to talk about Mr. Trick. Yes, yes. And he's, I mean, Trick is just the thing of beauty. Joy forever. I love him. Again, Trick. you know, he's <sighs> an antagonist. He's a narratively functional antagonist, but he's so much more when he's built to be a villain. God, I love the fucking lollipop. I swear to God, that is one of my favorite little details. For lollipops him. are a thing on Buffy. <gasps> lollipops like it's are a thing. Even, I mean, we see Buffy with a lollipop pretty mm-hmm. often, and I really, really hope it's not like a Lolita thing. But even Giles gets in on the lollipop action yeah, yeah. later on. So yeah. I don't know. I don't, I, are they are they flagging for something that I don't 
know about? <laughs> like, what's happening here? Well, there, I mean, lollipops are candy on a paper stick and paper's made from wood. No, I don't know. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. Like, it's just, it's just cute. And the thing is, yes, when Buffy does it, when she's so young, when we're remembering Buffy and she's got the lollipop and it's this, it is, uh, it does have a Lolita vibe and that is disgusting. Um, but with Trick and with Giles, even when a grown man has a lollipop, it speaks to almost a childlike delight. Like you cannot yes. have a lollipop and be depressed. I mean, in real life you can. In real life you can. But a grown person with a lollipop on TV, like that is a, a, a symbol of embracing life and enjoying things no matter how ridiculous they look, right? You know, it kind of has that vibe to it. And I freaking love it in this episode. I think it's so fantastic for him. And also, can I just say, here we have a modern vampire with a T3 line getting 2,500 megs per, right? He is Slayer Fist, has goddamn branding and a logo, and he sets up a TV and a VHS player in the middle of the fucking woods. And where is the power coming from? A generator? I have no idea what, but you know what? I don't care because it is un believable it is so cool he must have the world's longest extension cord that's like what it reaching is reaching out there from somewhere and he set that whole thing up and i freaking love it you know and like the mayor trick is really well characterized i mean bad guys who are just snarling and all i want to kill this are not really that interesting you know yeah and while we had a good villain in spike in season two i mean as our villains go i mean the master was pretty good too but like we're seeing like more characterization um, of these of these villains in a way that makes them more charming and more interesting and more um, kind of beguiling. Um, and I just freaking love it. It's so much fun to root for them, too, when they're these fully realized characters. I yeah. love I love a villain that you can root for and just get excited I to see. Know. And once again, Trick brings up the issue of race. Mm-hmm. Just barely. Yes, a little bit. Just little barely. Bit. And this feels like a very late 90s approach to tackling racism. Like, we're going to talk about it without really talking about it. Right. And, of course, we're going to give all the work of identifying the issue to the black man. But of course. I do, like, I think it's interesting and noteworthy that Trick talks about, you know, being asked to leave. And right. That he's... And I also like that he is not at all interested in leaving. And yeah. he's like, you can go ahead and ask me to leave, but yeah. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna like succumb he's, to that. You know, yeah. I love that. Yeah, and the mayor says, you know, you're gonna whatever it is about, you know, working. Yeah, I'm gonna together. get you on my team. And he's like, what if I don't want to yeah. be on the team? He's like, I don't anticipate that's gonna be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> he pulls him in, and I just I love it. Yeah. I love the whole thing. Trick is fantastic. Trick is absolutely fantastic. And that goddamn suit, the exciting suit. The exciting suit. It is exciting. It is a thing of joy. Absolutely. It is is exciting. (laughs) All right. So now we have Giles. We can talk a little bit about Giles. There isn't a lot of Giles in this episode. Um, But I love how he goes to the dance. I know. Poor Giles getting knocked out again. But I love how he goes to the (laughs) dance to support Buffy. And he's like, whatever the outcome, I want to be here, you know, when it happens so that I can support her. And I was like, oh, that's really sweet. He's sitting there with the finger sandwiches. And he's not wearing tweed for like the first time, I think. I think maybe ever. Maybe except for the football game. No, I think he was wearing tweed at the football game. Yeah. (laughs) I wouldn't leave it past him. But I mean, Giles, like he was, he got shot in the butt with a trank dart last week and now he's unconscious on the floor i'm just 
Giles. I know. He got shot with a crossbow with Jenny that one time, That's right? He gets right. shot in the ass with the tranquilizer. He gets knocked out all the time and needs to be checked for traumatic brain injury. <laughs> you got to take that shit seriously. If you lose consciousness, it is not good. I just think that he should be walking around with some. I think he could wear a hat, right? <laughs> Or a bicycle helmet or something. Because he knows he's going to get hit in the head. Oh, a little child. prevention is, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, man. Yeah. You know? Yeah. True. <laughs> oh, man. Poor Giles. But yeah, he's in he's in full dad mode wanting yeah. to support Buffy. And even yeah. he makes that joke about Buffy's in trouble. Yeah. And I'm like, really? Like that, I like the idea of Giles joking around but i also it doesn't feel very giles to like mm-hmm. pull a buffy's in trouble and she's not really I yeah mm-hmm. but i do like i like him trying to be part of the celebration by making jokes right, right. like oh that's so sweet so cute i think these finger sandwiches are actually made up of fingers yeah that's really cute yeah He's he's trying he's trying his hand at the dad jokes and yes I, I know it's admirable we appreciate it, it. we see your uh, effort Giles right and you know what it's his, it's his first thing like it's it's his first try <laughs> like you know you, you get a chance to screw it up before you really get going on the dad joke thing yeah, and that's fine yeah, you know it's not as, it's not as natural milieu right um all right so we're pretty much done talking about like most of the show I have a couple of things that I want to bring up their high school things sure one. We see this all the time in high school movies that take place in California, and it freaking fascinates me. Uh, Schools that have their insides outside. Uh, The lockers are outside. The Harmony stairs are outside. All of this, like, all of this stuff is out. Like, they've got a whole bunch of the school that is outside. And, like, the thing is, I grew up in New York where you cannot be outside for, like, half the year. And... To me, the idea of these California high schools, which you see in movies, because like everything takes place in California, it's all shot in California, all the high schools they're working with are in California, so they all have to have this nice weather and they've got this outside stuff. They did it again with Easy A, uh, the Emma Stone movie from 2010, mm-hmm. and it always fascinates me because I'm like, how does this work? How do people have their lockers outside? <laughs> and apparently you grew up in California. I That's did. like a thing. I yeah. grew up in Southern California. Yeah. And your and, high school's uh, insides were outside. Yes. Yeah, parts, oh parts of the yeah, part parts mm-hmm. of the inside of the school were outside. Oh my god. Lots of yeah, lots of like courtyards and open spaces and you know <laughs> walking from class to class outdoors. That's <laughs> cra- all year long. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, there are two seasons in Southern California. There's mm-hmm. summer and not summer. Right. Although <laughs> summer and kind of summer, right? Summer and kind of summer. Well, and I mean, really, like, like actually, the seasons are uh, fire, flood, earthquake, mudslide. I think those are the, uh, you uh, know, the four the... horsemen of the. <laughs> right, right. God. That's that's what they don't tell oh you God. about living in oh Southern God. California. It's like, yeah. but yeah, yeah. Lockers outside. Um, I think even my middle school had lockers Oh my outside. God, that fascinates me. Yeah. It fascinates me. I just can't. <laughs> you know, and I did I did some college in Tucson. I was finishing up my degree uh, remotely in Tucson. And so I took some classes out there. And I remember there being like, you know, like the classes would just be like, you'd go from one trailer to another trailer. Like, they had, yep. like you know, and I'm like, I'm just walking around outside to get to my classes. It's weird. 
it's weird, you know, that the actual entrance to a classroom is outside. It's all it's all really yeah. weird. But anyway, that's a lot of time spent talking about something that doesn't matter. One thing that I did love in this, though, is this the little moment. And it's really easy to miss. And Buffy is talking to the teacher who, of course, didn't remember her. You yeah. Know? And she says, you know, yeah, I was in your class, Contemporary American Heroes from Amelia Earhart to Maya Angelou, the class that changed my life. And I was like, A, I love that they're teaching feminist history, right, at yeah. this school. B, I love that Buffy loved it. Like, yes. I love that Buffy was into it. And this, you know, changed her life. I think that's awesome. But it's so sad that the teacher would forget her. And I was like, would you really forget her? Like, if a, if a student is absent a lot, like, I remember. But then I was thinking about it. And I'm like, okay, high school teachers have hundreds of students every year that they mm -hmm. have to keep track of. Like, the, it's hard enough keeping track of the ones who are there. I have like 15 a semester that I can <laughs> keep track of. So when one doesn't show up, that stands out to me. But right. I was like, oh, my God, it's so sad that, you know, Buffy was into this class and loved that class. And then, you know, and the teacher didn't remember her. Yeah, that's it's really sad. And it rings mm -hmm. really false, especially because her name is Buffy. Her name and, is Buffy. You yeah, remember like, that, how many right? Buffy's? How many Buffy's right. do you have? I don't know, Southern California in the 90s, maybe six or 12. Right? <laughs> maybe. No, I think it was Jennifer's. I think it was no, Jennifer. Oh, Jennifer was the big name. There were 14 girls in my class named Jennifer. <laughs> that was the that was the Sarah of, of yep. my time. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I do yeah. love I love that our 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 two can it be a two person list, but our range, yeah. Amelia Earhart to Maya Angelou, there's not a there's not a dude in there. There's yeah. no dude. No, name. I mean that's a feminist history. Totally. Class. That's absolutely yeah. what that is. And it's not American that heroes. long. That's like yeah. an entire semester, yeah. right? And the range from Amelia Earhart to Maya Angelou is like, I don't know, 40 years, 50 years maybe. So, I mean, that's like you're going to have a whole semester full of women from just that one period. Yeah. We're looking at a lot of women. You know, we got some Eleanor Roosevelt in there, pretty sure. <laughs> right. You know, um, that's a pretty cool yeah. range. And I like that it's a short range that has enough women that we're discussing that fills up a whole semester. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty I love great. That. So I was I was very pleased with that. It was a small moment. It was a tiny thing. I was very pleased. But let's go ahead and transition this into Arg the Patriarchy. Because... Oh, God. I mean, <laughs> Without yes. getting into like like the the patriarchal the heteronormativity of things like a homecoming queen, although we do have two homecoming queens and no homecoming king in this episode, you did and I have to that. say I am here for that. Absolutely, um, but we've got. You know, we've got this old white guy with technology mm -hmm. putting himself in exactly no danger at all, saying, I am the future. And I just like read that was such a record scratch for me of like, oh, no, sir, you are going down. <laughs> like, oh, no. Except he is the future. Oh, absolutely. Because but... his guys die. He thinks he's one. Yeah. Right. Um, at the end, when Trick is talking to the mayor, uh, Trick thinks he's one. He thinks the Slayers are dead. Right. Yeah. So they're all laboring under that delusion at that point. Um, and I mean, let's look at uh, who's running everything right now in America. Yeah. Uh, he he kind of was the future. I know. Old white dudes putting themselves in absolutely no danger with like bone spurs or whatever uh, <laughs> who sit it out. Um, yeah. Like I think actually he was the future but he is not 
going to be the future yeah i, I know just, it's 20 years later we're still working on that shit we're gonna take you down yeah man. yeah i was like oh i was like no no sir yeah. your time is up <laughs> except tragically he was right time's up now so yeah. hopefully, hopefully yeah. in another 20 years we won't be having that same conversation yep. all right so what is your girl power moment of the week well I love the idea of a high school having this contemporary American heroes class yes. that yes. uses apparently that uh, centers women, which is awesome. But well, I yeah. absolutely love Cordelia and Lyle Gorch. I yes. love her making full mm-hmm. eye contact with Lyle Gorch in full vamp face and yep. monologuing. Mm-hmm. She's so yes. badass. She's like no, not, it's fantastic. you know... Uh, Cordelia brings out the prom queen in Buffy, but Buffy brings out the slayer in Cordelia. And Hell yeah. I'm Hell here for yeah. it. And we're going to see a lot of that when in Cordelia as she evolves, and especially once she goes over to Angel and becomes a you know kick-ass uh, you know, woman over there. So yeah, I like all of that. I think that's really, really cool. Yep. So what's right, your favorite so Noelle, part? What is, no, I'm asking you. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm, asking God, you, I, it, I'm asking you to the dance. What's your favorite part? <laughs> I think it's when Faith asked Buffy to the dance. Oh, so I think cute. that's it. I think that moment of vulnerability. Yeah. Um, And that moment of fuck that dude. Like yeah. all of that, like everything that Faith is in that moment, I just love. Like I, I love I, I Faith overall in this thing. Is probably my favorite part. She's, yeah, yeah. I have a feeling that for a while, my favorite part of anything with Faith is going to be Faith. Right, exactly. It's just going to be blanket Faith. Is Faith in the episode? Faith is my favorite part. And Faith is my favorite part, right? I mean, really. Mm -hmm. Asking Buffy to the dance is so great. But I got to give it to Faith cornering scott at the dance yes and she does it with such delight she does it with a smile on her face and the way she turns to his date and goes hi and then slaps him on the shoulders Uh, and walks off i'm just like uh, yes yes oh he deserved that and so much more but oh i love it and she just you know she doesn't go to school with these people. She doesn't care. <laughs> I don't think she would care if she did go to school yeah. with these people. She is absolutely going to take that dickhead down. Yeah. And I love it. Yeah. And she looks perfect. Oh, I yeah. love Faith at the Homecoming Dance. That, yes. That is so good. That's my favorite part. <laughs> All right, that's it for today. To join in the discussion on Twitter, follow Lonnie at Lonnie Diane Rich and me at Noella Loud and use the hashtag #StillPretty. Or you can keep Chipperish Media going to the tune of a dollar a month or more and gain access to the live chat in Discord where you can hang out with me and Noelle and all the Chipperish patrons who get to go to the dance with Faith when their terrible boyfriend craps out on them. And trust us, that is an upgrade. Oh, yeah. You can also show your support by giving Still Pretty a great review on Apple Podcasts or by telling your friends about the show or by taking this moist towelette and cleaning the mayonnaise from under your fingernails. (laughs) 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 Oh, my God. We're going to be back sometime with Band Candy. Band Candy. Band Candy. Band Candy might be my favorite episode. It is is definitely one of them, and I am so excited. It's the sixth episode of season three, but until then, we look cute in a tiara. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, man. Oh. <laughs>